Welcome to a place where we're thinking together and thinking deeper about who we are. Where we are and what we do in this world. Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast. This is the first Zoom interview on the Philosophy Podcast. Today, I am joined by... I am Jonathan Lee Iverson. Jonathan Lee Iverson. If you're watching the video of this, you can see the big smile on my face because I've heard so much about you. Jonathan Lee Iverson, tell me a little bit about yourself, in your words, because I can give the big overview of you. Tell me <laughs> a little bit about <laughs> yourself. Well, it all, always depends on who you hear it from. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very fortunate uh, New York native, born mm -hmm. and bred in New York City. Um, I'm a Harlemite. I'm a choir boy who basically grew up with a, a, a unexpected interest in opera and it grew into this great fascination, which I thought that's exactly what I would do with my life. Who, and uh, eventually I ended up taking this fantastic, whimsical, historical detour uh, that was presented to me in the form of the greatest show on earth. Uh, obviously, you know, I had my own plans, but um, I've learned throughout life that God is a, is a, is a stand-up comedian and, um, and a prankster, and uh, I think he thwarted those plans for my good, and I went from plans of maybe doing a year or two, and I'd have really fascinating stories of how I ran away with the circus and hung out with all these wonderful circus people and probably dated a few acrobats or whatever to ending up with an 18-year career with a wife and children in tow and um, really just meeting some of the most amazing people and uh, having the most dynamic experiences ever. And I really think it's, it's one of those journeys that really it just reminds you of how we all have this commonality, you know? I mean, it, it just is shocking, you know? I, I always boast that circus maybe unbeknownst to itself, has the formula of how well, we can actually get along, you know? I will say, you know, I was looking over your bio, and I was like, what? What? <laughs> um, so, Boys Choir of Harlem. Let's, yeah. let's, let's go back to that, because yeah. that is phenomenal. Uh, you guys, you traveled. There's a, there's a, I don't know how, how far and wide the stories go about that, but there's a history and there's a tradition that that is steeped in. I don't even have to get to the ringmaster part. The boys choir of Harlem part is just, my mind was blown. Yeah. Tell me uh, about that experience. That experience really, um, it just shaped everything in my life. I mean, till this day, even the way I interact with my children in regards to their, their work, their academics, their, um, their curiosity about what their vocation may be. Mm -hmm. I actually feel myself regurgitating the lessons of the founder and director, the late great Dr. Walter J. Turnbull and all of his other emissaries. There was just such a level of excellence that you were supposed to reach. I think he was a genius. He had his foibles, but Dr. Turnbull really was what I call a Harlem angel. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, it was Harlem before Starbucks and Bank of America and Magic Johnson Theaters. Well, you had to step over a few, uh, few uh, vices just to get to, to choir rehearsal. Right. Um, his level of expectation and excellence, seeing that from a man, 
two budding young men mm -hmm. does something. And I think it all falls in that tradition of warrior cultures where, right. you know, the, the elders men would go into the village and they would take the boys out and they'd go up into the mountains, <laughs> you know, and when they came back, they, they knew how to lead. They knew how to, and seeing the demands that Walter Turnbull had for us and the fact that he believed so hard in us to do it. And, and, and I think the thing that was so, I mean, that sticks to me, with me to this day was his invitation to us and his blessing that we had every right to be fully human. He taught it through music. Right. You know, I, I never looked at Mozart any better than I looked at Billy Strayhorn. You know, like, right. you, and through that, you know, he taught us the value of all music, but he taught us the value of ourselves through me, which was just extraordinary. Right. And also, you weren't fighting your own blackness in the process. You were being schooled by right. someone, you were being mentored, schooled by someone who had followed a path that may be similar to yours, but it was helping you with that path that wasn't about, oh, you got to fight who you are in order to be what you're going to become. It's exactly. And right. Let me let me tell you, this is something I thought about the other day. And I was thinking of the gift that Dr. Termal gave us subtly. You know, back then, 80s, 90s, you know, your hair, you know, you remember guys had all sorts of designs. And <laughs> I, had a high, I had a high top fade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all had the high tops. And we had guys in the choir who, who could cut hair really good, who really knew how to take care of hair. But he encouraged that. Like, he wasn't one of these where, you know, you're, you've got to have this concern, this uniform look or, or where he would unconsciously demean our, our Black genius, yes. our own creativity within ourselves. There were kids with dreadlocks. He would encourage it. All he wanted from you is that you came, you look clean, you were, you know, you were, you, you look presentable. In, in many respects, it kind of worked against us in fundraising. He would say it because he said, we look so good that people think we, we're just rolling in money. Mm -hmm. And they were always strapped. I mean, it was non-for-profit. They were always strapped, but he was very hard on us about presentation, not just on the stage, but behind the scenes. We used to have to set up our stage build a ride. I knew kids who knew how to work lights and sound at 12, you and, know. And you weren't in the news. You weren't having a, a boys choir of Harlem member did this, you know. That wasn't <laughs> oh, happening. He wasn't having it. I no. mean, on more than a few occasions, he, he, he made some threats. Okay. He, we would go to these hotels and he'd say very bluntly, he said, listen, he said, you're not going to go in here and act a fool. He said, because you might not make it back home. Um, he, you know, his mother was a domestic. He, uh -huh. he, he, was, he, he said it to us in a very um, reasonable way. Just because they have people clean up after you, so to speak, doesn't mean you have to turn it into a wild place. You know, you know, be considerate, be respectful. We would go in a restaurant, and you could see the wait staff get nervous. I mean, you see 30, 40 boys, adolescents, coming in there. <laughs> and... You know, you're probably thinking, oh, my goodness, these kids are going to run wild and crazy. We literally would go to restaurants, and after we finished, whole staffs, chefs and all, would come out and applaud us. And we're laughing, and we're going, what is, 
biggest thing for us was you have to be an ambassador. Be yeah. an ambassador. Be a good citizen. That was his big thing. Be a good citizen. Be somebody worth uh, worth your name. So I want to jump. Going to use that that little internet glitch to to segue. <laughs> you also went from there. You went on to Fiorella LaGuardia. Fiorella yeah. LaGuardia is what the television show and the movie Fame were based off of. Because yep. I had gone to AMDA uh, up to, uh, when it was at the Ansonia building on uh, 73rd and Broadway. And we okay. would you know, go down and head to Lincoln Center and we'd always pass this, the LaGuardia kids doing their thing. And we were, right. even though we were at the next level, the college level, right. man, we were jealous. LaGuardia's proximity to Juilliard as well. Um, there's- And the Met. And, and, and New York City Opera and, right. and Lincoln Center, you yeah. know, I mean, I, I, how, how blessed, you know, I mean, I, I was, I always laugh about my adolescent life, like I really was privileged. It was like, I had a double life, you know, I, not only did I go to that wonderful high school, but I was still in a boys choir at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I'd be in Spanish class one week and then I'd be in Spain the next month. And and so, you know, let's say my Spanish teacher, I'll never forget, she was a lovely woman. And Miss Halpern would, uh, she, you know, the teachers, when I would go on tour, um, they would just give me the syllabus and, you know, I would have to keep up. And that was common. There were other students who had right. done different things. Some were on Broadway, some were in like soap operas or something or whatever. So that was encouraged. And um, it was a, I mean, it was a wonderful experience, you know, just having that kind of life where it was just this full-blown arts education, including the environment. I mean, that's the big thing. You know, I was ensconced in this environment where the dream was a real thing. It wasn't like, right. oh, these kids have these, it was a real thing. The late, great Jesse Norman, who was so gracious, she had a thing where she would actually she would take some of the like some of the students mainly like sopranos you know budding sopranos whatever she would take them on tours of the med and you know we'd have certain um, opera legends like riri christ who would come to our school and conduct master classes we even had this thing we did annually called grammy day at the school so right before the grammys had their big thing they would bring some of their artists some of the some some big music artists would come uh, several of them would come and it would be basically an all-day thing and they would they would give lectures they would perform I saw the great Henry Mancini oh the whole auditorium blew up I mean like he just came, he just came strolling out and to think someone of his generation was getting those kind of kudos from all these young kids I mean I said that's to me I, I was like if you need a case for why the arts is so vital like the fact that all of us knew him. He was the cool kid in the room. He must, right. <laughs> you know, he was. I mean, to see him, I heard Aaron Neville sing the most beautiful version of Ave Maria I've ever heard, the Aaron Neville. So it was really a great hands-on education. Wow, that's amazing. So if, for this is for the folks, if you're just joining me right here at the Philosophy Podcast, uh, <laughs> I am inter I'm speaking with Jonathan Lee Iverson, who is, I guess, now well-known as the last ringmaster for Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus. And we are just going through down memory lane 
of what got him there, his, his Boys Choir of Harlem stuff and his, uh, his time at the Fiorella LaGuardia um, High School for the Performing Arts. And now we're gonna move on a little bit more and get to, you leave the Boys Choir of Harlem, you leave LaGuardia, it's off to college, did things yes. change? Were things happen? Was it still? Because I look at your life and go, "That's a this magical to this part point." Was yeah. it magical in that space, or was was there a point where it was taxing hard? I mean, it may have all been. You know, uh, it's funny. Um, so I, college was a bit of both, but it's fascinating. I I think by then I discovered when you've been granted a gift, mm -hmm. some of the privileges you can get, and so. I had the privilege of getting a lot of scholarship money to go okay. to uh, the Hart School of Music in Hartford, Connecticut. And, and to be quite frank with you, I charmed my way out of high school. Um, my teachers were pretty generous. And it, it was funny, I remember getting a recommendation from my vice principal and he was so cool, I forgot his name. Such a great man. And you know, we were laughing while he's giving me the recommendation. He said, look, he said, you know what it is, Jonathan? He said, you already know what you wanna be. Right. And we know, we know you can do the work because I'm looking every year, your scores go up. Mm -hmm. And the teachers were always so generous to me. They would say, listen, if you pass this and you do X amount of this, I'll be able to pass you. And I would get it done. <laughs> and so, you know, because, you know, it, it was wonderful having that kind of support because they kind of like knew, all right, he's not necessarily going to be some big academic. So he right. probably doesn't need to know that for the requirements he needs to do. And I would do it, i get the work done. But I ended up at the Hart School of Music and I went there specifically for my voice teacher who was the late, great Jerome Pruitt. And he was a wonderful world-class tenor, one of the most beautiful voices. He's up there to me with Pavarotti and all of them. And you know, that's the thing you discover in opera, you know, there are a lot of real jewels out there who may not have gotten a big spotlight, but had really substantial careers. And he was one of them. Mm -hmm. And um, I read his bio and I said, I want to study with that guy. Right. And that's really why I went to that school. And, and I wasn't disappointed. I was mainly impressed because he was a working uh, singer. For me, I always prided myself as a student. I, I don't believe, you know, I, I don't believe in having a novice or an academic as my teacher. I want somebody who has scars. <laughs> you, you, you know, I, and, and it's the same thing with students. Right? Yeah, you want, to, you want somebody with a little, some drag marks, that somebody right. who's all a little bit, their fingernails a little broken, because right. they, they've been in the trenches, they know what the experience is like. And I understand that because as a, as a coach, I didn't think I was ready because I was still doing the job, right? right? And then I went, wait a minute, this is what they need to hear because I'm still doing it. And... There are often times I would be with my students, I say, we're in the same boat. I am mm. still hustling to get the work as I help you to learn how to hustle to get the work. And it's priceless. And we're going it's out there and getting it and doing it, and we're continuing to do it together. I have my connections. Yeah. That's not gonna help me all the time. Cause yeah. you gotta show up with the skills as well. Yeah, look, you know, I mean, and that's the thing. I call it the Yoda effect. You know, I mean, that, you know, I, I want a Yoda, you know, I, I right. want the, the master teacher who can really do it. Right. And who, you know, all of my teachers were like that since the beginning. So I was very spoiled because Dr. Walter J. Turnbull was an actual musician. He was he was the real thing. And mm -hmm. he had created the boys choir to basically as a project to 
keep kids out of trouble, what have you. It started in Ephesus Church. It was mm -hmm. the Ephesus Boys Choir then, and then it just grew and became the world-renowned Boys Choir of Harlem. And that became his wife. That was his passion. That was his right. life. And right. this is something I share with a lot of young artists, whatever craft they may be in. Mm -hmm. I always tell them, listen, you're not beholden to what other people's vision of you might be. You have to tune into yourself. And your, your body, your mind, your spirit really will give you cues. Right. You just have to be courageous enough to obey them. Right. Because I've seen it. You've seen it in this business. Yeah. Show we've seen tons of people, great talents, who are ruined because they neglect that voice because they're, they're seduced by the bigness of the so-called great coach, the so-called right. great trainer, what have you, who really, they may be great, but they may not be for you. And right. you have to know better. There's a, a motivational speaker, his name is Johannes. It's that everyone does not have your best interest in heart. Mm. And they may be helping you, but they may not be helping you for their reasons, not for yours. Mm. And, the, and, and that can be okay as well. You have to understand, is it healthy or is it unhealthy? It, yeah. You know, it, which, which way, how's it going to work? And I had, I had a dear friend, won't mention the name, who got cast on a, in a Broadway show. But the way she got cast was unethical. Mm. And the show never opened. She stopped performing afterwards because of what she had, the, the price she paid to get there just was debilitating wow. for her goal. Wow. And she just, she gave up on performing, moved back to upstate Pennsylvania, was done. Uh, and she thought, this is my big break. And I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of me. She sacrificed too much. Yeah. And you know, life will do that to you. I remember there's a story that um, Sidney Poitier uh, speaks of in, a, in his book, A Measure of a Man. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful book. And he gives this lesson. I remember he was talking about how there was a, there was a, a particular job he was up for. And, you know, he definitely needed the money. Um, you know, he wasn't Sydney yet. Right. And, uh, but he had a principle where he would not play anything that would demean him. Mm -hmm. You know, and demean his, his, you know, he had a great sense of heritage, a great sense of himself as an individual. Right. And, um, you know, he said maybe a few jobs later, his break came. But, you know, we, we often find ourselves like that. And I find it's not just artists, it's people, period. I think life gives us these kind of fascinating tests to see not only do you want it, but what are you willing to do about it? Because, you know, listen, I, I think scripture is correct when it says, you know, what, what good does it do to gain the world but lose your soul yes and exactly you think a lot of these people they get success they get all the, the 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 toys and the money and what have you and they're miserable because you know they I, there's something to being able to actually sit down with yourself look in the mirror at yourself and know you know what i, I didn't have to give off pieces of myself to make this happen and it's here and it's understanding and i talk about you are enough being the perfect you that you are because if you're not in rooted in your soul in yourself then you're going to make those choices in a very unhealthy way 
I love that mantra so much. I've heard you say it a lot. And I've heard you, I love it because it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. It, because, I mean, as simple as it is, you know, and the truth is simple. Mm-hmm. You know, simple as it is, when you hear it enough, it's so powerful, you know, because, you know, even those of us who may have had successes without selling, we have to hear that. And hearing you say that, I was like, yeah, you know, it's like, just remind that because I've had to say it to myself over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, and you're never too accomplished. You're never too old. You're never too seasoned to, no. to hear it again. You know what? Yes, you are enough. You are enough. On your bio, it says that you met or worked with, I'm not sure how deep it goes, Jeffrey Holder. I wish I had just had the chance to sit in his presence because mm-hmm. his work and hearing what other, how he in, impacted other people's lives and the way, I, I heard a story of a guy who was not even in the entertainment business, was down and out, happened to be in Brooklyn or something. Jeffrey Holder got this guy, and this is a guy who I met personally, mm. off the, he said, come with me. And he brought him home. He fed him. He said, stay here as long as you need. And then showed him different avenues that he could take where he can help out in the community, do different things, to have one person have that much faith in you when you were at the lowest. And Jeffrey Holder brought him in and said, this is not where you belong. And that was all it took. And so I just want to know what your story is, if you have a, any stories of the Jeffrey Holder. Uh, so one of the reasons I'm a fan of yours is you have his light. Mm-hmm. There's a, a way about him that I see in you. And Jeffrey Holder always, I always had a sensitivity to voices. Mm-hmm. So obviously my first encounter with him was those famous 7-Up commercials, you know. <laughs> yes. And, um, obviously I was a kid. I didn't know, you know, how majestic this man was. I was given the awesome privilege of him being our director for the Voice Choir of Harlem and Friends on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he was so, he was just like this, he was energy. He was just, I, 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 you rarely meet somebody who you just know, man, they know who they are. They know why God made them and they're in their assignment. And that's an exhilarating feeling. And him being as big as he was, I was shocked to know that he was a renowned dancer because he was such a tall man. Yeah, And he just taught me so much in his presence. And he was very kind and very inspiring to each and every member of the choir who was there. And I remember I used to just love the way he called his wife's name, his wife, Carmen de Lavalade, the great Carmen de Lavalade, who was just, the woman's just eternally gorgeous. And she danced in the show as well. And he would just call her Carmen, the way he just say it. You know, I said, man, I was like, man, she must be like his muse or something. Right. She was. I mean, he would design some of her outfits. And then, I mean, like he was just this force of nature. And I remember he, he pulled me to the side during a rehearsal. A couple of times he did this. And he, he told me to my face, he said, you know what? He said, you've got what it takes. And he was, well, he wasn't saying this like, you know, you know, no, he was, he really, he looked at, he said, you got, he said, you can, you can literally go out there and you can make it big. He said, just work on this, this, this. He said, but you've got it. 
Mm-hmm. That meant like, I mean, I, I was floored hearing that from him, you know, I was so, uh, but my, the, the most wonderful thing when I really knew how glorious this guy was, I had the, the great privilege of connecting with him not too long before he would pass away. Mm-hmm. He happened to be in a home, um, in, in, in a, a nursing home. You go in, I went into his room, every wall, every corner, stacks of paintings. You know, he, he, was, he was also a prolific painter and it was, it was incredible. You know, his energy, he just had this, he still had that life, even though his body was limited in, in so many respects. He was just like that, I don't want to say per, but, you know, it's almost that close to perfect human. He was being. human. He was, yeah. he was fully yeah. human. Yeah. He was fully human. And you could just, like, people were drawn to him, and it made sense. I mean, he just was just this magnificent being. I listened to a few of your other interviews and conversation with folks and it often gets centered on your being the last uh, the first and last african-american ringmaster with ringling brothers and barnum bailey circus and i'm not even going to talk about that because i'm so jealous (laughs) (laughs) so jealous but i you know there was i started out as a clown got to be an acrobat didn't make it to the ringmaster of Ringling. I got else, you know, but the ringmaster, the one who holds it all together. You know, we look at the people flipping and flying and you you are, the ringmaster is the epitome of poise. Yeah. A stoicism, yet a welcome stoicism. You know what I mean? It's, it's there's a, yeah. you're a pillar, uh, but you're a huggable pillar. <laughs> and right. Stepping into that role, did that change who you, how you were in the world? Because you already had the ambassadorial and the diplomacy stuff from the boys' choir. You've also learned, you've got the, you had the technique going already. So what did that change in you to be the ringmaster and also to be such a, a, a figurehead as a ringmaster? So, you know, I can tell you, I had to grow up in the role. I knew I had all the tools intellectually. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to exercise them. Like immediately, I understood. Okay, I've, I've been, I've well, I'm well traveled. I'm fine with being around different types of people. I grew up in New York City, traveled a lot. I have the energy to sustain this type of schedule. But it was like putting a puzzle together, mm-hmm. you know, because you know how circus world is. They throw you in the ocean, and you just have to sink and swim. Right. And there was no they didn't have any school for this. Yeah, you know, I figured out, I, I realized, wow, I am enough. And all of those pieces, everything leading up to then was just right for me. Each ringmaster, it's not a role, you know, mm-hmm. it's really the personification of who you are. Right. It's expressed. And so, I, you know, in many respects, looking back on it, I think it's the best thing to do is not to, because when I would mentor, people who I knew was, I would never tell them what to do or how to do it. I just let them watch me. What I want, we're going to just wrap it up again here because I've kept you for quite a bit here. Great. So looking back, if you could talk to yourself, 14 year old you who's like, huh, you know, I'm doing this as fun, but what am I going to do? Um, mm. What would you say to yourself? Oh, I would tell myself to definitely uh, chase wisdom. Like you, you chase the most, coveted thing you can think of 
-hmm. covet mentorship, cultivate your inner circle Mm -hmm. um, in relationships. I would tell my younger self, definitely get acquainted with money and master it, Mm -hmm. um, even that early in age. Uh, I would also tell myself to really be mindful and a steward of my health. Well, Jonathan Lee Iverson, thank you so much for taking this time. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your life, your story, your your wisdom, your light with uh, all of us here. Uh, it's just, it's really is a, it's been an honor and a privilege. And I, I'm looking forward to chatting with you more just to be able to share in your presence and broaden my horizons with your light. Oh man, that would be great. I think you'd be able to get back outside and play again. Thank you for joining me here on Philosophy. And remember, you are enough. for listening to the philosophy podcast keep checking in as we will be regularly releasing new episodes